LP Parsha Podcast, your weekly Torah portion podcast. Each week, we'll do a light dive into this week's Parsha. We'll zoom in on a passage that catches our eye, and we'll connect it back to Judaism and our own lives. As always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Paul Saleka, and as always, I'm joined by... Aaron Rotenberg. So great to be back podcasting, Paul. Good to be back with you. How's your week been so far? My week's been good. Uh, just starting off. Uh, I had a nice walk by a river, which I always enjoy. I dropped my brother off at the gym at the uptown JCC, and it's like nestled in this ravine. So I like wandered around the building a little bit. I saw this exhibit about Bathurst Manor, uh, the Jewish neighborhood that my father grew up in. I was moved by that. And then I like went wandering, traipsing around the ravine. It was so beautiful. That is a really good ravine. I know the one you're talking about. Um, Don River. It's a good one. And it's funny you'd mentioned walking too. Like for me and my husband, he likes to look at stores and go for walks. And I like the walking parts. And I made it clear this week. I was like, you know what I really like is the walking part of walks, not the stopping part. <laughs> and now we've meet, reached this middle ground, like the middle JCC uh, that you went to. As some of you might know, there's three JCCs in Toronto, downtown, midtown, north. Um, so our middle ground was that now we do sometimes take walks for walk sakes that don't involve looking at uh, windows or items, uh, which is not my preference. Um, and is so sometimes you do a walk that's no looking, and sometimes you do a walk that's looking focused. Yes, exactly. And because it's important, you know, a bit of marriage advice for everyone here who wants to get married uh, or have a long term partnership a big part of marriage is shared experiences. And like, I don't like stores, but I'm not a lot. I, I make a point to not be on my phone when we're going to stores. Because even if I don't like stores, it's still a shared experience we're having. Um, so it's something we're trying to, you know, maintain and cultivate in that way. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's my little marriage advice. And uh, my day's actually been kind of long. I got up at 7 a.m. to do 90 minutes of Portuguese tutoring with my tutor from southwest of Sao Paulo in Brazil. That's an early um, time for a 90-minute Tutoring session, Paul. It's you know what she. Uh, I should almost advertise for her. She charges the same thirty, sixty, or ninety minutes. So I'm like, I may as well do ninety minutes. Um, but you know, during the pandemic, I was learning Hebrew from a personal trainer who lived in uh, Haifa. Um, this was just a side geek for him, and that's when I used to do it too. I would do it at seven a.m. I just have that's when I have the most energy. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's a little bit about the way walk through life and walk through language learning. Yeah. Shall so we get into the language of biblical Hebrew. Absolutely. And speaking of language, what is the name of this week's parsha? Uh, this week we have another double header. Acharemot kedoshim. Acharemot kedoshim is one parsha, and kedoshim is the second parsha. So kid. Kedoshim, I can imagine, would be like blessings or holiness, I would think, from the Kedusha. Yeah, exactly, from that same three-letter root. That means holy or set aside or apart. The holiness of being set apart. 
and acharemot means after the death of. Da, da, da. It's funny because I've I've studied so many languages in my life they get mixed up. So when I read acharemot, I imagine mot meaning like word in French. Mo. I was like, I'm a. That's a, I feel like there's probably a good drosh there. The drosh is that I'm staving off my genetically predisposed dementia through all these different things I'm learning. <laughs> so I'm going to do the one minute summary and then have a few jumping off points for us. And I will say that, and perhaps some people, well, we did hit a milestone. We hit 10 listeners. 10 listeners, two, a minion. Two of them being each other. But our ten listeners, including ourselves, no, including actually, ourselves. To be honest, Paul, I showed you ten listeners, but it's since gone up. No, you're so kidding. We're just out there, so thank you to everybody who's listening. Keep telling your friends. Tell your enemies. Like, uh, get everyone involved. Yeah. It'll be a good icebreaker for you and your enemies. Uh, mm. um, and enemies comes up in this parsha too, actually. Um, so I'm going to do a one minute summary, kind of a a bit of a synopsis that I've felt through Chabad.org uh, in one minute, and I will start timing, and then I'll give us some jumping off points. Do you have a, and you have a Tanakh with you, a Humash? Uh, yes. Okay, I can link you to if, uh, if we need to. Okay, here we go. So in this Parsha, uh, we're talking about after the death of Nadav and someone else, Avihu, um, and we learn indirectly, this is not directly talked about, and I'd love to get your thoughts on this. We indirectly learn about Yom Kippur and offerings um, and the Day of Atonement. And there is conversations about uh, korbanot, the animal and meal offerings. And there is uh, rules related to blood and rules related to sexual relations. Um and then we go through many of the mitzvot, including things related to idolatry, uh, charity, parents, business, sacredness of life. And uh, there is some famous lines in here that I want to zoom in on. And that is my one-minute summary. Whoa. That was very thorough and well done. Thank you. I'm trying to be a little bit more serious with the one-minute summary now. Like... I would want someone to walk away to be like, okay, I have the broad overview. I have the urn, and now we have to fill it with water. Like, um, what do you call those rooms in Israel that fill with water? Uh, mm-hmm. No, you would think I mean the mikvah, but I mean like where you store water. Oh, uh-huh. I know what you mean, but I don't know what it's called. It's not a cistern, water is storage. it? Maybe it's a cistern. Yeah, cistern. Cistern, yes. So it's like filling... We've we've built a cistern. I hope that's what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that one where everyone killed themselves, uh, and then Masada. if you know that story, the Masada story. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, and now it's um, and now it's filling with water that will be our content as content creators of Tara. I was telling James that some dialects people actually say. He was like joking around making a nonsense song. He was like, toy red, toy red. I'm like, oh, actually, like some people do go like toy red, toy red, toy. Like it's you're actually spot on. That's a song. <laughs> so uh, yeah, let's fill it. Is there anything that jumped out to you before I throw us to a passage that really jumped out to me and to uh 
really any commentator. I want to talk about the Azazel scapegoat for Yom Kippur stuff. Yes, let's jump into it. I want to talk about Yom Kippur in this. Um, So that was going to be my second question, but let's start with it because you thought of it. All of the learning resources about this Parsha say it's about Yom Kippur. But when I do Command F on the full Torah Torah readings, I don't see Yom Kippur. I see Azazel come up, um, but I don't see Yom Kippur come up. How are we getting Yom Kippur from this parsha? Yeah, because don't you on your Yom Kippur, you don't like slaughter one goat and send the other out into the wilderness, isn't that what we're all doing? Of course, that's the Yom Kippur thing. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, this is the Torah reading that we do discuss and have pieces from the high priest. You know, there there are some perhaps recognizable features. It doesn't say Yom Kippur. You're right. Uh, it says, I think it describes on the ninth day of the seventh month. So. If you know how the Torah is counting things, you can be like, oh, that is that day. That's like the Erev, the day before Yom Kippur, which is the 10th month. We call it of the month of Tishrei, which we usually count as the first month. But in the Torah, they're counting the month of Exodus, or the Exodus as being the first month, which is the month of Nisan that we just finished. And the seventh month from the Exodus is the month of what we now call so it does tell you the date of Yom Kippur. So you could figure it out that way. And then it also says that this is a day of, it doesn't say Kippurim, but it has some word like Kapara. It says that the stuff that the high priest is doing, and it goes into all these details, is something that provides uh, atonement for the people. So it's not saying, it doesn't say, it doesn't call it the same name, but these are pieces that are drawn out and from them are created what we now call Yom Kippur. So I think chapter 16, verse 6 on Chabad.org, I see they say here, um, and Aaron shall bring his sin offering bowl and initiate atonement for himself. Is this the, one of those uh, allusions? And then on verse 10, and he came upon for which a, the lot for Azazel came up shall be placed while still alive before the Lord to initiate atonement upon it. Mm-hmm. Um so you're saying that just the allusion to atonement is kind of how we draw connections between Yom Kippur. Yeah, you, you, it's coming up. It like uh, I'm trying to see what else, but he, all the all the things that he's doing, it says, and this is for right, and also in verse 16, v'chiper ala kodesh, and he shall right again provide atonement for the sanctuary. Um, Verse 20, when you finish doing this kapara for the sanctuary, it is like a sort of thematic word. Verse 24, and he makes atonement for himself and for all the nation. So like, it may not be so clear in these funny English words of like, he made expiation for this and cleansed that. But uh, there is this Hebrew catchphrase of to do this Kippur thing that does come up. It's just conjugated in different ways. And before we get into Azazel, you said something really interesting that I think people might not have picked up on, although we might have talked about it before. You said the month that we now call mm. So uh, yeah. what, I, I know what you're alluding to, but um, why are you describing the months as being come to known a certain way? Yeah. The Hebrew months we now call by, I think they're Babylonian 
names. Maybe they're Assyrian. I don't remember exactly what their source is. Paul is <laughs> mouthing Babylonian to me. <laughs> Babylonian confirmed. Okay. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, setting me up for this. But in the Torah, they're generally uh, referred to by the num- by numbers, which is also kind of how the weeks, the days of the week in Hebrew go, right? We say Yom Rishon, Yom Sheni, day one, day two, day three. Like that's how the counting for the week goes. And it used to be like that. It seems like more or less for the months. And the, the Bible does record some names, right? It calls the first month, the month of Aviv, which now we call spring, but maybe it's also a name of the month. And you said we now call this, but is there some group of Jewish people that still uses the original names of the months? <laughs> well, the Karaites, the the people who do not believe in the oral Torah, uh, big shout out to uh, the Karaite community. I think um, I believe they still use the numbered days of the months. Um, and I might have mentioned this in another podcast, but because I'm learning Portuguese each week, Monday is called second market tuesday is called third market uh and it goes on and saturday is called sabadu like sabbath um i guess because i don't know if this is folk folklore but it's like there was no market when the jews were not around in portugal before the inquisition so um sabadu yeah like you're saying it's shabbat um so it's just kind of that's uh, pretty awesome that that's still preserved in portuguese yeah, I think Portuguese and Spanish. I don't know what it is in Spanish, but I think it's some sort of Sabbath-like word. Um, yeah. You would think I speak Portuguese, so I speak Spanish, but unfortunately not. Um, it records the Sabbath on Saturday in a majority <laughs> Christian context. Yes, that is, that is interesting, right? It is on Saturday. And uh, in Portuguese, Sabado is is what is um, the Sabbath, not Sunday. Um but you were talking about Azazel. So what is Azazel? Nobody knows. It's unclear. Maybe it's a... So just to say a few more words about what's happening there, one of the things that the priest does is sets lots or like takes two goats and says, okay, I'm going to flip a coin or something. I'm going to somehow leave a bit of this piece up to chance. And then one of the goats that gets chosen is sacrificed in the sanctuary and the other gets sent to Azazel Hamidbara, to Azazel in the wilderness. So people have various thoughts about what that might mean. Perhaps it's some people say a goat demon that it's sacrificed to. Hmm. It certainly connects to kind of Western folklore, right? Goat demon. <sighs> Uh, could be the name of a place it's not it's a bit strange it doesn't say what's happening exactly the rabbis imagine this thing where what does it mean to get sent to sent to Azazel it means like push it off a cliff and then stone it to death which is like also a pretty strange thing to do in contemporary yeah. Hebrew like lech Azazel go to Azazel means go to hell so there's some like something's preserved from that but it seems like one of these rituals that don't we're not it's not being described fully it's like oh you know you know what we're talking about <laughs> we don't know what they're talking about. i just love that too it's like whenever at work something important happens and i'm like i should write this down no i'll remember it 
and I don't remember it. So similarly, all these things lost to time. Yeah. Um, and one other piece of like the, that's lost a little bit that I'm like curious about because right, the Parsha does go into a lot, a lot of these things like don't do what the people of the land are doing, don't do what your neighbors are doing. One of the things it says don't don't consult an ov or you don't need, which I think is probably translated as like magician or sorcerer. But like what a who a what who are limited? Like there's sorcerer. There? <laughs> right, the word you don't need is like comes from the same word of like, oh, you, oh you know you don't need is just somebody who knows. Or it seems like it comes from the root of somebody with some special knowledge. Or like Yodea, Nilo Yodea. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. So like uh what is it that they know? They're not they're not saying. Yeah, like uh that's so interesting about the magic piece. I didn't realize that. Uh that like just the person who knows is the magician. Kind of like maybe someone who is either maybe knows spells or just knows things, knows how to make things happen. Um, and this, like I think, translated as a necromancer or somebody who also knows how to communicate with the dead. I, I feel like I want, I want to know more about that. But, yeah. Necromancers were always my favorite kind of um, uh, characters in, in like Dungeons and Dragons. So uh, certainly I can feel a strong connection to the necromancers of this passage then. Yeah, it's like a thing that the Torah right, acknowledges that is around or later in the Tanakh, uh, although it's frowned upon, uh, King Saul, like when he doesn't know what to do, he like finds some woman with special skills who brings the dead prophet Samuel up to have a chat. So don't, yeah, don't engage in necromancy unless you really have to, like. That's kind of the message I get from that. Um, so kind of like looking at the atonement and Yom Kippur piece, I kind of want to continue to dive deep into this concept. Do you think we could jump to chapter 19, verse 18? Of course. Oh, okay. <laughs> 19, verse 18. You're like, oh yeah, this one. Um, well, I mean... Perhaps we could read it. Uh, sure. Lo tikom velo titor et b'nei amecha vehavta l'reicha kamocha. Ani Adonai. You shall neither take revenge from nor bear a grudge against your neighbors of your people. You shall not love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Mm-hmm. Ah. This is one of those famous lines that you were referencing. Yes, and it gets even more famous. Uh, let me drop something in the chat. Like, um, it's connected to a famous story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the Talmud, in uh, Tractate Shabbat, I believe, 31a. Yes. <laughs> I believe. I have that written down. I'm not just recalling this. I'm to this link to take a look at it. So, yeah. I see this, see the story here. Should we, do you want to take a look at it? Yeah, let's, uh, why don't you read it in this, is this in Hebrew or is this in Aramaic? Uh, it's actually in Hebrew. <laughs> oh, good. Do you want to do Hebrew and I'll do it in English? Sure. Do you want to do line by line? Uh, yes. Okay. 
שוב מעשה בגוי אחד שבא לפני שמאי. There was another incident involving one Gentile who came before Shammai and said to Shammai, אמר לו, גיירני על מנת שתלמדני כל התורה כולה, כשאני עומד על רגל אחת. Convert me on condition that you teach me the entire Torah while I'm standing on one foot. תחפור באמת הבניין שבידו. Shammai pushed him away with the builder's cubit in his hand. This was common measuring stick, and Shammai was a builder by trade. The same Gentile came to before Hillel. He converted him and said to him, Amarlo, Da'alach snei lechavrach לא תעבד, זוהי כל התורה כולה, ואידך פרשוהו זיל גמור. That which is hateful to you, do not do to another, that is the entire Torah, and the rest is interpretation. Go study. And just a little side story about this to make it personal. I remember one time in When I was in birthright as a participant, yes, I was a participant, not a uh, our someone involved with our trip, his name was Shamai, mm. and you would think it was after this Shamai, but I think the legend was his mom meant to call him Shamaim, like heaven, um, but she like got the spelling wrong. Uh, but I just think the syllables, even though Shamai is like. The, the foil and Hillel is the good sage. I think the syllables of Shammai sound so nice to me. Um, and I had such a nice experience with this one participant of sorts. So, um, well, shout out to that Shammai. Shout out to that Shammai. He's um, probably on my Instagram, so maybe he'll see this. Uh, yeah, so He frames it slightly different, right? Love your neighbor as yourself is one thing. What's hateful to you don't to an, don't do to another right there's some like same a similar principle at work, but it's just not exactly the same thing. He doesn't say love love your neighbor he says don't do things that you wouldn't like. It's like framed in the negative just you think this is very shamai ish kind of like uh for it to be framed in a more negative what Hillel says when Hillel's picking up this ideas Shammai says no get out of here you're annoying person who's just trying to mess with me and the hill says yeah here you're converted here's the important principle what's hateful to you don't do to others he doesn't say love another like you love yourself he's maybe and maybe that's like more accessible because you can be like oh I know I don't like that so I can make sure not to do that to somebody else versus like love another like you love do i even love my i feel like right do i love myself how do i love another like myself but it's a little bit loftier so just appreciate this framing that he has here and it's just kind of a really important kind of focus on i suppose people say that every religion has the golden rule uh and this is kind of judaism's focus on the golden rule like uh 
to treat others as you'd want to be treated. I actually like the negative to not treat others as you wouldn't want to be treated. I think that kind of works both ways. And the other part that you can see here too, like um, how quickly this person was able to convert a tradition which has continued to this day, because everyone knows it's so easy to convert to Judaism, uh, just liquidly split like this. Um, no, I'm kidding. I'm obviously alluding to the fact that they don't make it easy to convert to Judaism. Um, so that is uh, the joke I'm making. That could be another episode. That it could, like it could be. Maybe there's another model that we need for conversion to not make it so onerous. Yeah. Our wise sage well. Unless, so I feel like if some later commentator, you know, I've heard commentators on the Book of Ruth, they're like, yes, they say this, but really, then he took a two year class in between these sentences. You're just hearing the first and the last sentence. But um, I don't know. I just thought it was kind of, this is such a lovely, you know, with even with the positive and the negative, I think this is such a lovely encapsulation of something about related to Jewish ethics. We kind of started with the concept of, atonement, connecting it to Yom Kippur, kind of um, resolving those things in our lives. But then also coming back to just the ethical question of like, okay, after atoning for our sins, what do we do going forward? Kind of bring it back to this passage. So I just think kind of the whole world of Jewish ethics can kind of be seen as a spark from this passage is kind of the the full circle I want us to be aware of. Oh, so beautiful. <laughs> so, some ethics, holiness, Yom Kippur, and these ethics you know um so i think that's kind of a really nice full circle a, sh a complete circle a, sh a shalem circle of sorts um shalem meaning full complete i think so i think that's kind of a good place to kind of do a soft landing so we can let it go for this week that this was again paul Saleka signing off and is always joined by Rotenberg. <laughs> <laughs>